We are live here on uh, on Colin. Uh, we, I'm so excited to have this episode today with my friend Jeff Timmer. Uh, welcome to the show on Democracy. I'm your host, Fred Wellman. We'll let people gather for a minute. I see some friends are joining us that have joined us before. It's great to see friendly faces once more. Uh, if not, let's go ahead and uh, we'll play a little music while everybody gathers, and then we'll get right to talking some really important stuff happening in our country today. So glad to be on the air with you guys today. It's a happy Tuesday episode of On Democracy. I'm your host, Fred Wellman, coming to you live from the beautiful St. Louis, Missouri suburb on a sunny spring day. Well, it's actually cloudy. Whatever. Uh, I am especially excited to have as my guest my friend Jeff Timmer from the cooler reaches of Michigan. Jeff will be joining us shortly, and we'll get our conversation going in a minute. You know, as always, as an admin note, we got a lot of people who've been on calling before, if I won't go too long. You know, it's a pretty straightforward app. If you want to message us, go ahead, make a comment during the show. You can do that. Hit an emoji down there. I love the emojis. Always make me feel warm and fuzzy. Uh, if you want to ask a question later, I'm not sure if we'll get to questions or not. Jeff's got a hard stop. He's got things to do up in Michigan, so we have a hard stop in an hour. But if we have time, we'll try to take some questions. Uh, if not, we'll get you next time. I'll be doing another episode probably Friday where I'll take everybody's questions. So we can have one of those conversations. If you do take your call, you know, unmute yourself and your microphone at the bottom there, and yeah, we'll just get right to it. So, you know, what do we got this afternoon? You know, I uh, I got to know Jeff Timmer when I joined the Lincoln Project. He was already one of our key strategists and advisors on our political team. He really was key in helping shape our mission, dealing with Donald Trump and supporting our key congressional races. Uh, Timmer, as everybody calls him, Timmer. I will have to talk about that, Jeff, when we get you on air. <laughs> Timmer is a co-founder of Republicans and Independents for Biden. He's a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project. Political and public affairs consultant. He's advised hundreds of candidates, trade associations, ballot initiatives, and major corporations. He's been doing it a hell of a lot longer than I have. Jeff's a writer, a pundit, a redistricting expert, and was the executive. Now an independent. As I mentioned, I've had the good fortune to get to know a partner with Timmer in our 2020 campaign efforts, and we still collaborate to this day. I'm excited to have Jeff on the show to head on what is clearly becoming a wild campaign season. And, of course, especially this week, the upcoming January 6th hearing. So uh, I think, you know, Jeff, I think I think we're going to talk today about uh, it's a perfect time to talk about the upper Midwest a bit. I called this episode Northern Highlights. I thought that was pretty clever myself. Uh, <laughs> been some crazy events surrounding. I mean, you've had some crazy events around the signatures for your candidates, qualify the elections up there in Michigan, upending races. We have a word. Uh, we've also gotten word that a judge was killed by a militia member in uh, Wisconsin in his home, and and he had a list including Governor Whitmer there, and that's that opens up a whole can of worms. And of course, we just got more details about Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor, Democratic Senate nominee John Fetterman's health crisis that I think is going to make that race interesting. Uh, and then if we had time, hopefully we could talk a little bit about the upcoming January 6th hearings and latest news there. I mean, just a ton of things happening around our democracy. Glad to have someone on the show who knows this stuff better than I do, and that's Jeff. So, Jeff, man, how are you? Good to have you on the show. Fred, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad to see that you are doing this podcast. Uh, you know, for the longest time, uh, 
I've loved your voice even before we knew each other. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we, I think we got to know each other before Lincoln Project yep. just through Twitter. Yep. Um, I, I loved your voice. I, I love the way that uh, that you can um, you just kind of boil things down in this this threat uh, that democracy is under in this fight for democracy. And, and uh, I'm, I'm just so glad to see that that you're sharing your voice uh, in this platform as well because I think it's 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 great. So uh, I'm, nice, I'm happy to be here. And and you know we there, you're right. There's so much to talk about. Plus, when the two of us get together, yeah. we can get yapping for a while, and yeah. know, things get weird. I start. Well, yeah, we had that history. Uh, for those who don't know, we hung out in Park City, Utah, during the election, and uh, it was it was high altitude and had liquor. It was a quite a fun adventure, <laughs> to say. Uh, so you know, you know, the March to the Fall election continues this week, Jeff. Right. So we've got primaries in California, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota. Yeah. Montana, Mississippi, Iowa, all today they're going to the polls. And then, of course, we finally figured out the winner of the Pennsylvania Republican nomination. So we'll talk about all that. So, But let's talk about right up top. I really do want to talk about this. Uh, the reason I called you originally was that you know there, people kind of miss this story. There's so much craziness going on. The, the, I'm really curious to talk about these petition signature uh, debacles that are occurring up in Michigan. Because we had the candidates. I'll, I'll read this. Uh, and, and they've had a couple of petitions where... You know, the fake signatures are appearing on these ballot petitions. And the latest version of ballot initiative to fight voter fraud, which is incredibly ironic, had 20,000 fake signatures on it. And this is just days at the state's Bureau of Elections and Board of Canvassers disqualified five of the 10 Republicans running for governor, including frontrunners James Craig and Perry Johnson. After discovering thousands of signatures of petitions they circled to qualify for the ballot were fraudulent. Bureau of Elections identified 36 petition circulators who submitted at least 68,000 fraudulent signatures in the gubernatorial primary as well as nine other contests so it's it's crazy man what's going on up there with all this well it it it, it kind of when you look at the face of it and if you're watching from the outside it appears that there's just a lot of incompetence right right you've got all the uh, but what it it really is is happening here is massive amount of criminal election fraud there uh the the this, it's not just that these candidates uh, turned in fraudulent signatures, fake signatures, and didn't make the ballot. The uh, they've been referred to the attorney general's office for prosecution. Uh, the circulate the, the, the initially the circulators, but the the investigation could could yield uh, connection with people inside the campaign. You know, the, these signatures weren't gathered independent of the campaigns. These people right. were part of the campaigns, even if they're a separate company who's hired as a vendor. And right. the, the investigation is going to show whether or not these anybody in these campaigns, right up to the candidates who are responsible for the legitimacy, yeah, right. the, the authenticity right. of these, are, are, are culpable and legally legally culpable. But there's there's just a massive amount of election fraud that has been <clears throat> identified here with the petitions, with uh, Michigan as a, a petition and referendum state, an initiative and referendum right. state. And there's there's several issue, uh, ballot issues that are uh, gathering signatures to get onto the ballot. Massive fraud being exposed there. Uh, just uh, on late on Friday, the uh, two uh, uh, um, uh, 
organizations, two committees that are tied to the Republican Senate Majority Leader in Lansing, were referred to the Attorney General for criminal investigation due wow. to uh, the, the the way they've raised money trying to hide donors and circumvent uh, transparency laws. Uh, uh, the, the speaker, the former Speaker of the Michigan House, who uh, uh, he was, he's under investigation for public corruption, for misuse of public money for illegal activities surrounding his PACs and campaign money and for sexually assaulting his sister-in-law when she was a minor. So, I mean, we're talking, we're talking rape. I mean, we, we, so we've got financial crimes, election fraud. We've got sex scandals. Another Republican state senator just pled guilty to sexual assault, and they sit with him every day. They're not even forcing him to resign. They're not ah. expelling him from the office. Right. It's It's... It's not just Trump lunacy. It's the fact that they think they've been in power for so long that they think that the the laws, the rules that everybody else would have to live by don't apply to them is what it really comes down to. Right. Now, how do you think, I mean, how is it being taken by voters? I mean, obviously they have been in power. The, the GOP has held, held the, how long have they held the House and the Senate there? It's quite a while, Well, right? the, the House for most of the last three decades, the Senate for four decades since the night. People think of Michigan as, is largely over time been a, a Democratic state, uh, but it, it become a purple state, certainly in the presidential race. Um, but the, the Republicans have controlled the legislature in Lansing almost uninterrupted for decades, uh, for generations. And that has led to this kind of inbred uh, gene pool of, yeah. of political officials who just inherit the, the and, and then kind of multiply or exponentially increase the, the ineptitude or corruption or uh, pushing, trying to take these gray areas, maybe you know, stick their toe over the line into the black and, and try to make them, uh, they've just kind of become norm where people have been bending the, the laws and the rules for so long that it's become part of their DNA. Right. But and, when and, you, and, your question and, about yeah. voters, I just don't know uh, right now that given the hypercharged partisan atmosphere, that anything kind of breaks through that partisan filter, the prism that people tend to look at things. Right. Uh, I think you could nominate Charles Manson as a Republican in Michigan today, and they're going to start with 40% on a, on a, <laughs> on a poll. Well, he's got name recognition, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, if, if they, if they, if the Michigan Republicans could somehow nominate Fred Wellman, who may or may not have ever set foot in Michigan, I don't know, right. and put you on the ballot this fall, you're going to get 40%. I would get wow. 40 Well, I might not because they really hate me. But uh, a, a lot of, just about, uh, you know, if you, if they nominated a ham sandwich, they would get 40% of the vote. That's hmm. how, it doesn't matter if, if they're uh, criminal, it doesn't matter if they're under investigation. It doesn't matter if they're corrupt, if they're incompetent, if they're clowns. It just doesn't matter. And that's how uh, that's how the hyper partisans look at it. Now, that's not going to be where the election is decided. Uh, right. I don't. It's it's not just going to be the Republican base turns out and somehow they magically win. There's the those uh, you know, center right voters who have been. Uh, historically voting Republican, but they're 
looking at this and thinking this is just a bunch of friggin lunacy uh it's it's dangerous it's corrupt it's it's not just incompetent it's dangerous it's a threat to democracy uh, whatever you can get into all these issues guns abortion criminalizing abortion uh so many people people don't want their their daughters uh you know put in jail their wives, right. their sisters, their mothers put in jail. Right. Uh, but the Republicans just are so out of step with where the majority of people are. Um, but they're they're in this echo chamber and they're believing their own bullshit. Uh, and they just keep doubling down on the, the, the crazy, the criminality, the extreme, really radicalized uh, positions when it comes to so many policy positions. But not even that, but just the the conduct, uh, their the, their public conduct in office right. goes far beyond policy. It's just the fact that they think the laws don't apply to them. Well, one of the things we talk about a lot in, in my campaigns I'm working now too, and in other states, is is that is that you know we've got to a point where a lot of those who represent us at the state and, and local and even especially national level, it's it's just performative jackassery, right? That's my my favorite term, you know, a performative bullshit, right? Yep. It's yeah. it's it's the it's sort of Margie Tara Green and who's you know they're, they're running podcasts and stuff, and 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 I'm feeling and and as we campaign in a lot of these campaigns, we're talking to folks who are just kind of sick of it. That that many people don't even know what they should even expect from their delegates or their state representatives or congressional representatives anymore. And so we're doing it. We're actually doing a concerted effort. Like, well, you, this is what you should expect. You, you should expect representation. You should expect them to do things like constituent services. Is, is, there, is there any kind of a hope or people are going to start waking up soon uh, in, to, a, to this fact that they're not being served by the representatives? Well, it, I don't. I, the answer is I hope so, but right. I don't. I don't know the answer. It's hard to be an optimist, right? Yeah, right. Well, I'm. I'm, I'm convinced more, more people care about who the mass singer is than who wins the next election for governor right. or Congress. They they have no idea, you know, the difference between a state legislature and the federal Congress. They people don't know that, and they don't care. Americans aren't hyper political people and one of the th- they're but they are exhausted by the hyper political 24/7 in your face of these last you know 5 6 years uh, since Donald Trump came down the Jethro Bodine golden escalator uh, <laughs> and it's just be, the, the, the the danger that we face is apathy that's what the 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 illiberal forces the anti democratic with a small d forces that have taken over the Republican Party are counting on is is apathy from the majority. They are a minority. The people who have, the people, who, whether it's who oppose mask mandates, mm-hmm. uh, the anti-vaxxers, the people who think the election was stolen, they're loud. They're right. uh, the, the, the people who would trade democracy for $2 gas, right? right. They're loud. They're vocal. Uh, they seem much more, uh, you know, they're, they're the, you hear a big bark coming from behind the fence. You look around the fence and it's a little dog. But they're counting on the rest of us. There are more of us than there are of them. But right. they're counting on us to get tired, to think that, our vote doesn't matter to think our it's we're, we're beyond hope we we're, they're going to win anyway why why right. bother that's what they're counting on and that's what we can't let happen they're they're crazy it can go 24 7 sane people get tired and that's where a lot of americans are now they are fed up inflation is a big deal right the, the right. cost of the the perception of the economy is a big deal the reality of the economy might be very different than the perception 
But re- inflation is a big deal. Autocratic Republicans are a bigger deal. The, right. I'm not willing, and I don't think most Americans are, willing to trade freedom and liberty for cheap gas, as if the, as if the federal government fixes gas prices. Right. Uh, this is, and I think this is a good time to talk about that next issue, right? So in that same way, we are also facing some actual violence. We're facing actual threats, physical threats. I mean, as you know, I mean, we're Lincoln Project veterans, so death threats are sort of kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of our kind jam. Of now, I, I get yeah. some, I get some amazing threats. Um, I get, you know, I'm always being, I'm always being threatened with the, the exposing the truth about me. And I'm like, great. It's all on the internet, but <laughs> you know, so, but we actually have, we, we are actually seeing violence. I mean, I think you know, if you remember, I think we're both old enough. I may be older. Uh, remember the violence of the '60s and the late mm-hmm. '60s when I was first born, and then in the early '70s where we had assassinations. Now here in you know over there in Wisconsin, we had a really what I would call a terrifying story of a, a former judge, Circuit Judge John Romer, who was found hogtied and murdered in his home, uh, mm-hmm. and the killer was found there with a self-inflicted wound. Right? Um, he's a militia member. He had and he had a list. Right? And on that list was other political targets to include Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who's already faced violence. Uh, threats, and then even Mitch McConnell's that list. I mean, do you think we're entering in a very? I mean, it feels like we're entering in a very dangerous time. I, I do, and I remember back. I'm gonna. Um, it, it was July of 2020. Uh, it was one of the first times we met on Zoom. We did a call, you and I, and some other, a whole bunch of others. Yeah. Uh, uh, NatSec uh, retirees. Uh, yes. We got on. The, we were on a call with some uh, election officials uh, from around the country, who were in charge of hardening the election, and we were trying to kind of raise the alarm about however prepared you think you are for the possibility of violence and disruption in the election. Uh, you're not prepared enough. You're not alarmed enough about the threat. And what we said on that call is how the, the, the incidents of violence are growing. The, the rhetoric, the violent rhetoric, the insightful rhetoric is growing. And after January 6th, um, I remember other conversations where we said violence is going to become more commonplace in the 2022 and 2024 election almost normalized where we're going to have to start to expect that people are going to show up with guns at polling places where they're going to walk into government offices uh, and threaten uh, hope god forbid you know take some kind of violent action but i think it's only a matter of time and the rhetoric is is so insightful uh, from so many different people um you know michigan are you listening get the governor uh, you know what trump was mm-hmm. saying that they did mm-hmm. the crazies the radicalized no differently than than you know young men in the middle east were with isis they're they're radicalized right. in the same exact way yet somehow we think about it differently we think about this as a as a episodic criminal uh, kind of issue to deal with rather than a macro uh, national security threat that right. the, um, the domestic terrorism that is fomented by one political party right now uh, on right. a massive scale. Uh, they, 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 not all Republicans are engaging or would ever be comfortable with political violence, uh, right. but none of them or very few of them are, comfortable or willing to call it out or do they're they're more than comfortable to uh to to assume or take or uh grab the power 
that the people who are willing to do and commit the acts of violence uh, would would lead them to. They're they're willing to be in this kind of tacit alliance with these people, right? And and that's it, it might sound hyperbolic to some, but but it's true. You're not right. you don't hear the denunciation of these people of these groups. Uh, you get people in you know in Michigan, the Senate majority. Everybody remembers, I think, the the images across the country and across the world back when COVID first started in 2020, all these Duck Dynasty-looking guys taking over the Michigan Capitol while the right. legislature was in session, standing in the Capitol with their rifles, Hank kind of dangling over from the gallery above the Senate and the House, um, you know, not pointed at anybody, but they, they kind of took, there was no, there was, believe it or not, no law, no regulation against carrying right. firearms in the Michigan Capitol. But... <clears throat> What the, the, the Michigan Senate Majority Leader met with those folks afterward and gave them advice about how to do, you know, how to how to do their their kind of uh, protests like that better. The next time you take the Capitol with guns, here's what you should do to get better attention. He was give, he was effectively their PR consultant, oh, yeah. and that's the kind of cozy relationship that that uh, the Republican Party has with these extremist radicalized kooks. There really is no difference between them anymore. They're just a they're a they're an important part of the Republican coalition. Right. And I think that's, that, that gets it right there. Doesn't it? I think what we're seeing is there's a fear that that is their base, that we have to accept that um, a party has allowed this to become a part of their base. And they're afraid of that, you know, much, much as they did before that evangelicals and the social conservatives, but it's much, it's much different now. And, and that, that changes the game quite a bit for us. And it changes the dynamic. I mean, how do you get people to run for office uh, and to put themselves out there or even participate like we do as just advocates um, when you do face literal threats to your not just your your well-being but your actual lives yeah it's it's uh there's there's this delusion this naive fantasy that still exists in the minds of many not just republicans mm-hmm. um, that uh, but a lot of people on the on the the democratic side or the pro democracy side still don't recognize how serious and dangerous and existential the threat is they've they've convinced themselves that this is uh, uh either a a passing phase you know like when you know like, like the terrible twos you know they're going to grow right. out of it by the time that the republicans are going to grow out of this after a little while you know right. fox is going to lose its ratings and then everybody's going to be normal again like somehow that happens by magic right, right. um they 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 think that's that somehow like the normal the 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 pre-trump republicans or the pre-tea party republicans uh are going to somehow you know, I don't know, magically come back from wherever they've gone to. Uh, and, and that normalcy will, will happen again, that somehow there, this, this will, this will write itself. And they're, they're not recognizing how, how, how absolutely uh, the, the body snatchers have, have manifested and taken over the, the host uh, that, <laughs> that there is, there is a, uh, the, the the cancer has 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 metastasized to every cell of the of the Republican body, uh, and those that aren't directly infected and malignant, uh, it's just a matter of time before they wither and die or are corrupted by the other cells. And that's, forced, yeah, that, forced out, but, right? But, to, to right, but they're, forced you know, out. They're, they're, there's, I mean, but I've had arguments with with people who talk about, oh, it's so. 
I'm so sad to see that Roy Blunt retired is retiring in Missouri because he's one of the good Republicans who really gets it. Well, what the fuck did he ever do to stop any of this, to speak right. out about this? You know, right. I don't care if he can collaborate with the Democrats on rural broadband policy um, if democracy is gone. Right. I don't care about that happy horseshit about playing congressional baseball games, the Republicans versus the Democrats, pretending that this is all kind of normal. And, you know, you know, it's it's like the they think it's like the, that old cartoon with the wolf and the sheepdog. Uh, but, you know, one side is really trying to, you know, it's like the, 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 the cheetah is going to eat your face off party. We voted right. for the cheetahs going to eat your face off party, and then they're surprised when the cheetahs really try to eat their face off. Uh, that's what's a, going on. Do you think there's a you know as we were talking? I, do you think there's a generational divide here? I mean, you do see. I hate to be the guy that you know. We, we do see our more senior. You know, we got some seniors, right? <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. folks are there. Not, not, not yet. You know, but not you and me. But the, we got it, new within hips. Our, and new within knees our Congress, hip, I do have new. Yeah, you got a new hip. I got new knees. Um, but within the Congress, we have we have people in the eighties. Okay, we have we have leaders who are in their seventies and eighties, and 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 they are from that bygone era of uh, uh, of, of uh, you know colloquialism or whatever you want to call it, you know the right. collegiality of a different era um, to include Mr. Biden. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so uh, there's there's almost like this this wish this dream that they have. Uh, because they had it, they were. It was that was the way. Well, we disagreed during the day, but we were. We always came together at night. Whereas you see, you do see the a younger generation, the Ruben Gallegos, uh, Ted Luz, and 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 others mm-hmm. are like, no man, this this is it's this we this is not happening. We aren't working. And then of course on the other side, you've got the Boberts and the Greens and the and and, and little Maddie Cawthorn and Gates who are really willing to go at it in in a vicious way um, and and throw throw all pretensions away of of clo- uh, collegiality. Um, do you think we're seeing a generational shift? And what does that mean? Do you think? Yeah, well, I, I do, but the. I've been largely a fan of Joe Biden and the Joe Biden White House because, mm-hmm. one, because there's no alternative. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah. two, I, I think that they're fundamentally decent in trying to do the right things. But I also think that through their first year and a half in office, they've been unequal to the task before them. And that's just from a failure to grasp the the threat, the enormity of the threat. And I do think right. part of that is, is going back to that, the, the, the habits learned over time when things were normal. The Democrats seem to insist on fighting the Marquise of Queensberry rules where all, you know, everything is clean and above the waist while the Republicans are down, you know, just below the belt using their balls as a speed bag. And the <laughs> Democrats are, are just, they, they're just unwilling to fight back. And, you know, you get into that Michelle Obama bullshit about when they go low, we go high, but go lower, go right. where the fight is. You fight to win. You don't right. fight to say we fought the good fight doing right. it the right way do it the effective way you fight with the tact the the, the you know this is a, a an analogy we've used before about how the you know the the republic or the democrats are insisting on playing chess or checkers whatever the rules of the game are but the republicans are just tipping over the board and eating the pieces they don't right. give a shit they're playing a different game and we have to play the game that is before us, uh, not the one that we wish to play, not the one that we that we know how to play. We have to play the game that that uh, is presented to us here. And if we yeah. don't get serious, it's not hyperbolic to say that the 2022 elections could make the 2024 elections a fait accompli. If Donald Trump had 
the people in place in Arizona, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, and Georgia that he could get after this election, if he had those people in place in 2020, there's no question that they we would have faced a bigger crisis, uh, an actual uh, move to, for him to stay in power and not vacate the White House to, to certify false slates of electors that didn't win the election. That's what we're headed toward. And if, if, if we get to 2024 uh, with uh, a Republican governor in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, uh, we are screwed. Well, on that note, and, and then <laughs> on, on the Senate side, of course, the, the fights in the Senate these days, and over in over in Pennsylvania, we've got the situation where you know Dr. Oz has now won the Republican Senate nomination with a whopping thirty-one point four percent of the vote, um, you know, with his endorsement from Trump. Um, but what's really interesting about the race and throws it up an end is you know John Fetterman after barnstorming the state. I mean, he visited every county in Pennsylvania during his campaign. Has a stroke right before the election. Um, has now has now had a pacemaker in place and we just got word i think was it yesterday or today from his wife that he may not join the campaign trail till july now i mean i mean <laughs> yeah it opens up a whole can of worms obviously um if he can't be campaigning what what are you seeing in pennsylvania yeah i mean well if pennsylvania is a, what you're clearly one of the big shiny objects right. in the battle for the senate and um it, it really is uh a Kind of a, a great example of the the um, the power of Trump and the Trump the Trumpification of the Republican Party. Uh, even if McCormick had won, uh, which he you know came within a thousand votes of doing, he he would have done so by trying to be as Trumpy as he could be and still keep his billionaire friends happy. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, but I think that rather than say that Oz only got 31.4 percent, look at the, the, the what McCormick could only get 31.3 percent. Uh, that was the extent. That's the ceiling of the kind of the so-called normal chamber of commerce Republican candidate today right that that more than two-thirds of the voters voted for a crazy mega either oz or i can't even remember barnett, or, or barnett. barnett. yeah yep. um that's where the republican party is it's not <laughs> glenn youngkin it's barnett and oz uh the circumstances were completely different tim miller has a great piece oh you beat me to it yeah you beat me to it yeah the youngkins youngkin strategy how the youngkin strategy and he, and, and his key point was that Youngkin got nominated in a, in a uh, convention in Virginia. People forget that part. Right, that but Youngkin the, the, did not yeah. go through a nominate. He did not go through a primary. Right, but the, you know, Youngkin is the is kind of the, the the poster child for the way that Republicans delude themselves about what's really happening. They've they, the the success of Glenn Youngkin and him being you know, coming from the normal world, but acting just Trumpy enough and putting on that vest and winning is a sign that, ah, that's how Republic, that's, that's our future. No, the future is Oz and Doug Mastriano and th these uh, horse paste eating, urine drinking Republicans uh, who are going to be Doug Mastriano in running for governor in Pennsylvania, winning that nomination is going, is going to be the norm. Doug Mastriano was going to win the Republican primary in Michigan and in Wisconsin and in Arizona. Right. And that's who the, 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 those people are going to be the face 
of the Republican Governors Association and of the Republican Party, no matter how much they're sitting in Washington with their pinkies up thinking that things are going to be normal. They're, they've got a bunch of loons. The, the Republican Party has become the pride lands after Simba leaves and Scar and hyenas take over. Uh, and and the, 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 the people in their ivory towers, the consulting class and the professional class of Republicans are still pretending otherwise, or they're just cashing in while they can. Right. I mean, that's, and that's the key, right? They, they're, they're fighting, you know, Jeff Rowe, of course, was, uh, was, was, a big part of he, Jeff Rowe had Yunkin. Jeff Rowe had, um, if those don't know who Jeff Rowe is, Jeff Rowe is a Republican strategist who is notorious. I mean, he's truly notorious. I, I'm from he's Missouri. The, he's the it boy these last few cycles. Yeah, and, and, and Jeff, guy, Je- right. yeah, he Fun is, you know, guy. he cut his teeth here in Missouri. He's, he's sort yep. of infamous in Missouri because in a campaign at the state level, I believe as Secretary of State, the, uh, the, one of the opponent, the opponent commits suicide. The opponent, he, his campaign running campaign ads. He was he was tied to the actual opponent actually committing suicide. So he's he's got a bit of a, a notorious history. He was Ted Cruz's uh, strategist, and now he's he's really the it guy right now. He had like Yunkin. He had uh, he had McCormick. He has here in Missouri. He has Eric Schmidt. Um, he's really his 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 company Axiom Strategies is everywhere. Um, and it and there is or what but but and they're riding high. I mean they are they he's he's grown from four people to thirty. I think it's just unbelievable how successful they're doing in, in navigating this. And, and what I think interesting too, Jeff, along those lines is, I mean, here, in, like in Missouri, I mean, there's, there's freaking six people run for Senate. You're seeing a breakdown of the discipline. Even in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, she had six opponents in the Republican Party. And there was a time when the Republican Party, I think when you were, you know, executive director of Michigan, you know, there was maybe one or two could chat. I mean, we, they controlled, the party controlled these, these primaries and who got in and who didn't. It really isn't that way anymore, is it? It, it, it's not um, the th- there's a tremendous amount of cannibalism on right. the Republicans. There's so much there's so much attention paid to the fight between Democrats and Republicans and owning the libs. You know, that's what the Republicans seem to live for. Right. But Republicans, they, they feast just as much. They, they hunger just as much for the fight itself and they fight themselves as viciously and as gleefully as they fight the Democrats. They, they, they kind of, the, the, they operate in a, uh, uh, survival of the fittest, like the movie Highlander, there can be only one. There's no, sh- there's no, there's no room for Marjorie Taylor Greene and others in the congressional limelight. There can be only one. You know, that's Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are fighting for the same turf, and they, w- one can't win if the other survives. That's the way they look at it. Right, it's kind of, right. you know, bad analogies here. It's Harry Potter and Voldemort. You know, one, <laughs> one has to. That, that's how they look at not only Democrats but their uh, opponents with in their own party. Um, anybody who's not them is a threat. Uh, and, and they, 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 they live for the, they seem to live for the controversy, for the fight, for the, the chaos. Uh, they, they feed on the darkness. And that's really, these people are not fringe in the party, no matter how much uh, some in the media, in the, in the donor class and consulting class like to pretend, they are the mainstream of the Republican parties. The, the Mitt Romneys uh, are the fringe lunatics in the Republican party. They, they're the ones who are completely unrepresentative 
unrepresentative of anybody else in the party. Um, anybody who stands up for normalcy, for the rule of law, not, and I'm not talking about behavior. Uh, when I say normalcy, like, Oh, it's not about, you know, it's mean tweets. No, it's not about mean tweets and, and, and civility. Um, that that's part of it, but that's not the, the, the core of the, of the issue. These people live to create chaos and anybody who, who doesn't uh, look to destroy, to oppose, to uh, combat is is uh, a, a rhino is uh, weak is going to be trampled and chewed on by the hyena pack. Yeah, and and then circling back to what we talked about in our last segment about you know the you know, the, the fight right and the fight you know I'm an old soldier so you know we talk about quite a bit. You know, you may not get a vote in the way we, people talk about the culture wars. That's that's the that's the the the, the pink in the air term for these kind of issues, right? Um, but I I know war. I I was I was in Desert Storm. I did three Iraq tours. I, I invaded Iraq twice, unfortunately, <laughs> and and I spent most of my I was a planner in the army. That was my job. So I spent when I wasn't actually in war, my job was to actually write plans to be prepared for war. Um, and and the one thing I definitely learned is. You know, you may not get a vote with war you choose, right? The the, the enemy right. gets the vote. And and in this case, for reasons I can't explain, it, seems, it does feel like the Democrats choose to not fight these battles with these these lunars and, and, you know, try to ignore it or fight it on their turf. I think that's the mistake. It's one of the things I'm learning on one of my campaigns right now is they do – they go for the outrageous so we we are constantly chasing them and, instead of going mm-hmm. defensive. So I do agree. I, 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 one thing that I've been urging is I, I said, well, Democrats, you, you don't – you can't just sit out of war. It, it's occurring, right? Right. You've got to but you've got to fight on your own terms. You have to go on the offensive, decide what your your points are going to be and all. And it just feels like too much too often lately. And it does lay does a segue. I know it's discussing the January six hearings, but it just feels like too much. The Democratic Party, especially they just aren't coordinated. They're not putting together their forces and they're not bringing coalitions to go on the offensive. They just think if they ignore the war, kind of like on Twitter, where people always tell us, well, don't, don't, don't share Marjorie Tara Greene's video. You're right. helping her. Like you're helping. Amplify okay. Well, yeah. It's like, no, ignoring him is actually helping them because there's an entire right. other, there's an entire other communications ecosphere. that's occurring. It was like Yunkin, Yunkin mm-hmm. in Virginia. Remember Jeff? He would say one thing on normal TV and a right. entirely different thing on Bannon. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and by ignoring that, we are, missing um what's occurring there's a guerrilla war going on and we're sitting it out i mean is that i think you i think you probably urge similar things to your to- folks you talk to yeah uh, you know I, I i'm i'm hopeful that these january 6th committee hearings will be something other than what i fear they will be right uh, and I, I i have zero confidence in a congressional committee being able to pull off the 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 kind of programmed uh, scripted theater that is needed to captivate and change public attitudes and perceptions yeah uh, that's that, that's what i fear that they've they've waited so long and the stakes are so high that they have no ability uh, and, and they don't, they're not programmed, uh, they, they're just not equipped to dealing with the enormity of the issue. And, and I think there are people involved who clearly get it, you know, like a Liz right. Cheney gets it. Right. But, but I, I just, I, I just really fear that it's still the Democrats are in control of this process. And I think their hearts 
are in the right place. I think their minds are in the right place. I just don't think their skill set is in the right place. And I, I, I fear that they're, that they still, by and large, do not recognize the, the enormity of the threat. If, if Donald Trump and all of those people who were involved in the criminal conspiracy, uh, up to the November 2020 election and since the November 2020 election are not held to account, then we have no accountability and we have no real rule of law in this country any longer. And we did not have any idea how fragile the whole foundation of our democracy was. If one party, one faction, one major faction just decided, hey, we're not going to participate any longer in that. That was all it took for everything to come, just come to a grinding, screeching halt. And we, we we are, uh, we've become kind of victims to this narrative of, uh, well, midterm elections go against the party in power in the White House. Historically true, right? But the Democrats seem to be doing nothing to recognize and try to change that. That's the, that's the thing. They just seem just like, all right, that's, that's our fate. Right. Um, well, okay. Declar- declaring defeat before the battles join. Democracy is under attack, and we either fight back or we don't. And that's mm-hmm. that's what I. And they're fighting back in ways, and they're they 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 want to, but they just aren't collectively capable or individually willing or, or capable of, of pulling it off. And so, like I, I said, I'm I'm very hopeful that the January sixth committee hearings will produce those kind of bombshell galvanizing moments the way like John Dean testifying did in, in uh, the Watergate hearings or something like that. But I, I fear that we're so far beyond that, that it, it, uh, that most people are going to tune out because we've, we've allowed the narrative to be taken over by the, 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 the losing side. This is, it's kind of like right. a civil war, right? The whole history of, of America since the civil war has been, has been largely written and dictated by the losing side, by the Confederates and, and the, right. the, the Republicans lost in 2020. They are the distinct minority in this country. The people who believe and think the way they do about um, not just policy issues. They're in a minority on most policy issues, but they're also in a minority when it comes to their attitudes and their belief in, in democracy and the rule of law. But they they are able to out. They're, they're able to punch way above their weight because they are all punching together, and everybody else kind of collectively just isn't up to the task. And that's what I that's what I fear with this that the, that we're just beyond the ability. It's, people have tuned out. The, the whatever these January 6 hearings have through their partisan filters or the filter right. that I, I said earlier that they're just so goddamn tired of all this constant politics and this who did yeah. what and what January 6 they, they're just tired of it even it, the, the, the White House and the Democrats on down from the White House to every local municipality and office have failed to make the 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 attack the 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 attempted overthrow of the government by the government by the president and his his party have failed to make that an organizing principle uh in this country and instead we're fighting on gas prices uh and th- th- that's on them not us 
that's on 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 us, not right. them. They're 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 playing the game that they always play. Republicans win races that they're not supposed to win because they can always count on Democrats to be Democrats, and that's respond. <laughs> they can yeah. respond. They're they're going to play the game uh, that the Republicans expect them to play. And so far, the Democrats are doing everything uh, according to script that the Republicans set. The Republicans are on offense. The Democrats are always on defense, and that is how. That's how I learned to run campaigns in the Republican Party over 30 years. Uh, we could always right. count on the Democrats to be Democrats, and I'm watching the Democrats be Democrats, and I'm admonishing the Democrats as <laughs> privately and publicly, stop being Democrats, act like Republicans, listen to us, listen to me, bring us in uh, before it's too late. Uh, you know, I'm not just looking to make money. I want to save democracy. <laughs> so right. this is this isn't a, this isn't a. This, I'm not looking for clients. I'm looking for. I'm looking to offer. And and, and there's a whole lot of us uh, who who are will, willing and able to uh, roll up our sleeves and get be in this fight. We're in this fight for democracy. But these campaigns need to listen to us uh, before it's too late. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, getting it, and that's that coordinated campaign, right? The, the, what, the, what the Republicans have always been very good at is using a coordinated communication and a messaging system to make sure everyone's in the same sheet of music. You see it demonstrated so quickly, so often, right? Where I've been telling a lot of people I talk to with the row, the row leak. Within hours, I think the first guy to come out within about six hours was, was Mike Huckabee on Fox saying, well, what the real issue here is this outrageous leak. It's the yep. leak. And then within hours, every, every pundit on TV was saying, oh, it's, it's outrageous leak undermines institutions. McConnell was saying, look, we don't know what's in the thing, but you know, this leak, it, it's, it's, they're very, very good at getting their, getting their messaging straight, distributing that message to multiple outlets and, and multiple surrogates and having that message pounded and pounded and pounded and then moving back. They're already on message like, oh, it's the inflation. We got to get back to inflation. And so you're constantly, I think I say it a lot. Uh, if, if people follow me, I say, you know, the three D's, right? Uh, deceive, Divert, <laughs> divide, right, yep. and, and and that's yep. what they do. They you know, deceive us about what's going on. You know, divert our attention. Oh look, it's it's the leak. Oh, oh look, it's inflation. Uh, and then you know, then divide us. Oh, they don't care about your problems. They don't care about your inflation. You know, they're worried about this. Sort of so it's it's and and again, you're, the Democrats do tend to keep playing defense. They don't they don't step up to the fight. They still refuse to come up with a coordinated messaging campaign uh, and, and system. Um, they refuse to use you know voices that could be surrogates for them, if you will. Um, um, unlike the unlike their opponents, and so their opponents have a much more strategic advantage. Again, it's it's about again back to my analogies of war. I'm sure my listeners are sick mm -hmm. of it, but but it is. You, you build your allies, you 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 get your allies all want you to music, and you march. That's what we did in World War II, right? We we built right. a coalition, an international coalition, and then we invaded France, June 6, 1944, so eight years ago yesterday, and we did it as a team, and 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 that's what works. And we we figured out our differences afterwards, but we won the battle first. And I just worry. Um, on a daily basis that for reasons I can't explain, the Democratic side refuses to get that coordinated and get their stuff together, and they continue to be out-messaged. And unfortunately, in politics, out-messaging means out-voted, out-policies. Out and it's like the first thing I always tell the story often uh, of when I first joined the Lincoln Project, that one of those first calls, uh, and I asked, what are our veterans' policies? 
and uh, Wilson, I think it was Rick Wilson said, "Oh yeah, we don't we don't do policies. We do winning and losing <laughs> because because right. your your pretty policies mean nothing if you lose." They're like, oh, that's a really good point. Right. <laughs> there, there's there's yeah. your first lesson in Republican politics, right? <laughs> you know, right. It's, right. he's right, right? It's like you got to win the election, and win the election, you got to do what you got to do to win. And uh, unfortunately, I think some too often our colleagues in the Democratic side are more interested in their pretty policies and losing with valor than actually winning the battle. Well, yeah, and I see this, the, all these news reports that the Republicans have been actively planning their counter-programming to the January 6th hearings. They've got all their allies and, and surrogates ready to flood the zone with, with media, uh, with, with, uh, you know, this, with the talking points. And whatever the Democrats and the Liz Cheney's have programmed and prepared, I just I'm 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 far more confident just based on my you know the history and and the the proven success of the Republicans to pull off this kind of strategy versus the 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 um the January 6th committee and the yeah. Democrats to pull this off because they never they, they really never have and so yeah. I I hope I pray uh, that that they prove me wrong that the 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 facts and the way they're presented are so powerful and so damning that it can change things. Um, but when it comes to the tactics of this battle that we are in, I know the expert uh, tactical abilities of the opponents, and I fear them uh, because yeah. they've demonstrated for decades in elections and states all across the country in major issue battles and judicial battles, whatever it is, the Republicans, the right, the conservatives are better at, at, at these, the, the, the uh, winning these battles uh, and punching above their weight, winning campaigns and in and, and times when, when the math is against them. There are their history, uh, uh, our political history, especially, you know, in post-World War II is full of examples, national and, and, and state examples of Republicans winning races they had no business winning in very, very few instances of Democrats doing the same thing. Democrats seem to only win races they're supposed to win and win campaigns they're supposed to win. And they have decided that the narrative that this election is going to be you know, lost is, well, you know, it's kind of beyond our control. And they're, they're fighting the same old bat. They're fighting the last war, not the next war. Well, I'm not doing it. Uh, before we get on, uh, Jason, I even waiting for a while. So probably we only have time for just one question, but we'll, I'll let you in. Um, but on, on that note, the special committee will have their public hearings um, after 11 months and a thousand interviews uh, will be uh, on Thursday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern and of course, seven Central, and then the second one is scheduled now for Monday, June thirteenth at ten a.m. Eastern. So uh, they don't have schedule for the rest of them yet, but their their talk is that maybe as eight, eight through June, uh, with a final hearing in September, which is of course right before the midterm elections. But we shall see. I know Fox has already said they're not going to show any of it, so it's um, we've already got a position where a major news outlet uh, that caters to the conservative audience has already said they're not participating. So it's. It's an uphill battle. I, 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 Jason, I'm not even waiting. I'm going to, Jeff, we'll just take one speaker. Jason's been waiting. Okay. And, and Jason, if you want to have this question, I appreciate you. Uh, I'll let you in here and you just have to unmute yourself. Uh, just unmute your button right there. And Jason, uh, happy to, to entertain your question. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. You know, I got a lot out of what you're talking about. Uh, all these existential threats to democracy, you know? Yeah. 
I think one thing that I didn't hear you talk about is like the attacks on the free press that we've been seeing mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing, one thing that personally I'm concerned about is this, uh, the prosecution of uh, Julian Assange. Okay. I was just wondering what you think about that. I, you know, I, I've, I, I have mixed feelings, obviously. <laughs> I mean, the definition of press, right, is what it comes down to. I mean, and, and, and where Assange finds himself. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't even know where it is right now, Jason, to be very candid with you. Um, I do see a movement where um, what is defined as press and what is treated as press has greatly morphed in the last 10 years. And, and I believe Assange and his, his organization was a big part of that. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I've had mixed feelings for a long time because I'm also an old, an old soldier, right? So some of the things that were leaked by some of the folks that went to, uh, to the WikiLeaks um, made my life very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, was a, I was a spokesman for the, the military when a lot of those things came out on WikiLeaks when, when, uh, when, when, when Chelsea Manning leaked her stuff. I was actually in the military. So, but it is, it is weird, right? We, we've gone through two different, two, but really three administrations, right? As Assange has navigated his, his situation overseas and on. Um, part of me thinks that maybe it's just time for him to face it. And I mean, in a lot of ways, if, if history is any judge at this point, he's going to come and, he, and not much will happen. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost the avoidance of his prosecution is keeping it a prolonged as much as anything else. Well, but I do think you're right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think one issue with that is that he's being prosecuted under the Espionage Act. Right, right. right. And he won't be able to make a case really in the court. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a challenge. I, I and it's interesting. I mean, I do find it fascinating that here we are a year and a half into uh, another administration and, and we still face the same facts. that haven't changed, which is, which by the way is the case in a lot of issues, right? Jason, a lot of things have not changed or have changed or we, we expected sudden change and those sudden changes have occurred. But, um, I, I'll give you this. I will, I will look into it more and see and, and have a better answer for you next time we discuss because I do think that you know we we do face a moment on the press. We do face a moment what is defined as press, and we do face a moment where the partisan divide has led us to a point where the institution that was our First Amendment you know media, which was uh, the Fourth Estate as you used to call it, um, has has not been prepared for this moment, and the institutions that govern that fourth estate are also not prepared for this moment, right? I think both sides, today there was a New York Times headline that they framed the entire January 6th hearings around if it's going to be good for the Democrats, Democrats' midterm objectives. Well, a lot of us feel like the most important thing is our democracy. That, that having, you know, and the same thing with your situation, with Mr. Assange's situation. You know, the real issue is larger than that. Everything is a horse race these days, but... That's a great question. I don't have an answer, Jeff. I don't know if you have anything to add. Well, yeah, not, not particular, not not in particular about Assange, but the the uh, the attack, the coordinated and sustained attack on media and information and truth, is really at the core of this strategy uh, of the illiberal forces that have taken over the the conservative. Republican Party, the center right in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I know, Fred, that you've uh, uh, talked with Ruth Ben Gate before, and, and uh, uh, she wrote a great book about this that really boils it down. There's, there's a whole chapter on the the, the di- fomenting the distrust of the media and making the media the enemy. That is part of the autocratic playbook, and it right. is it's being fo- it's it's been a long sustained effort. Politicians, military, every people in public positions have always thought that the the the, the media is the the, the uh, um, 
largely the enemy that has to be be combated you know they're they're the yeah. ones trying to expose your actions right they're the they're, yeah. but uh, it's it's taken on it's it's really become weaponized to the point where now with the advent of of uh, so the proliferation of news sources and online news where you can now just get information uh from sources that like that are pleasing to your ear, you know. Okay, yeah. like you like country music and I don't, uh, so I listen to a country station and you don't, or whatever. It, it, that that it, we, we were able to change our news and, and information and get our quote unquote truth from different uh, sources where we're not dealing with the same set of facts and realities any longer, and that's why we are part of a large part of why we are where we are because we have. Uh, two different Americas where people believe and see two different sets of facts. It's not that we just have differences of opinions, of political uh, policy positions, of ideology. We just we, we're living in alternate parallel realities, and and it's it's really it's really true. Uh, if yeah. you sit and talk to somebody who's way down, who's gone beyond the Fox News, uh, they're on the OANN rabbit hole. Yeah. They see a whole different reality. I mean, it's like it, one of us is on acid, uh, and I don't think it's me. Um, it's the it's the OANN guy I talked to, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it, man. Um, and uh, we'll go and let's see. Take. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, I think we boot you up. So I think Jeff. I don't know if it gets a hard stop for you, um, North. I wasn't able to get your question. I apologize. Uh, we'll get you next time. Um, I know we have, a, yeah, we do have a hard stop, Jeff. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we didn't really talk, we had a lot of talk here. Um, it's been great. So I know you got your own podcast, Jeff. Where can we find that and find you online? <laughs> it, you, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you're listening, subscribe. Uh, it's called A Republic If You Can Keep It. Uh, I co host with the longtime chairman of the Michigan Democratic Party. Uh, you know, we came together as, as former opponents who are now in the fight together to save democracy. And uh, we have guests. Uh, we, we, we focus a lot on what's going on in politics in Michigan, but also nationally. And we have guests of, of uh, state and local prominence uh, every week that we talk to. So, uh, you know, thanks for thanks for the plug. Love it. And online at Jeff Timmer, right? Uh, at Jeff Timmer on Twitter, um, you know I, I'm, I'm not safe for work, but uh, I'll, nope. I'll I'll tell it like I see it, and uh, you know maybe yes, make you, you laugh do. along the way. Many of the f bombs. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> that because that's where we had that in common. We've always had that in common. Uh, as a, men, Brad, there you go. I, 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 I always get counseled by someone named Schmidt about it. As always, you can find me on Twitter at FP Wellman. I'm, I'm FP Wellman everywhere on Facebook, uh, Frederick, and all that stuff. I've got a newsletter called FP Wellman Unfiltered and a review. I'd love you to, to check it out. Uh, great read, I, I, by the way. It's just, just a great you. read. It, it really is. It. And yep. barely has anything to do with politics, but it's, <laughs> but it, that's my newsletter. So, uh, this podcast course is available right here on Colin and then we'll publish on Apple and Spotify. So we'd love you to join us there too and maybe if you download or tell your friends about it we'd love reviews there tell your friends about the show if you like the show we are getting up and running this is our fifth episode officially and we'll be doing it more regularly as we go forward so i hope you tell your friends and you, you subscribe to the show if you're not already subscribed thanks for joining this episode of on democracy and uh, we'll return again probably friday and we'll take some questions with that thank you for joining us jeff have a great day good luck the rest of your day thank you, you for too, joining my friend. Us today everyone we really appreciate you everybody have a great day and we're out